So I don't uh, know if you've noticed, you might be a little young to have cared about this individual as much as I do, um, but y'all, Mr. Rogers is having a moment. No? Okay. Just me? Just those my age? It is undeniable. Mr. Rogers is having a moment, right? Not only did Tom freaking Hanks play him last year in a biopic, but in 2018, there was an awesome documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Highly recommend it, but not if you don't like crying, okay? And also in 2018, there was an awesome book that came out called The Good Neighbor that hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list. If you need any more evidence that Mr. Rogers is having a moment, uh, visit Barnes & Noble with me when I was there before Christmas. And at Barnes & Noble, there is a display section for all the Mr. Rogers stuff, books, movies, T-shirts, I don't know, right? But if Barnes & Noble has a display for you, let me tell you, you are having a moment. Which leads us to a question, why? Why in the world is Mr. Rogers having a moment, and why is it right now? Why? I mean, it would make some sense if he had just passed away. We'd be reflecting upon his life and legacy. That's certainly what we're doing with Kobe Bryant, right? as tragic as that is. But Mr. Rogers passed away all the way back in 2003, 17 years ago. So why and why now? There's a writer named Tom uh, Junod, and actually the story of him and Mr. Rogers is what the biopic with Tom Hanks is loosely based on. And in 1998, he wrote an article on Mr. Rogers for Esquire magazine about heroes. Can you say hero? And it was supposed to be four to 600 words, and Tom went into this experience with Mr. Rogers, whose first name is Fred, by the way. Did everybody just think his first name was Mr., right? Um, went into this experience thinking that, you know, he was going to discover that this guy isn't really who he seems to be. He's not as awesome and kind and generous. He ended up writing several thousand words on Mr. Rogers because he was so struck by the experience of knowing him. They became close friends. He actually wrote another article when the movie dropped uh, back in December in the Atlantic. I wouldn't recommend either of them, again, if you don't like to cry. Um, and, uh, and this is what he said about Mr. Rogers. He wrote this. He said, Fred was, let's not forget, a rather peculiar man. And it is not just his goodness, but rather the peculiarity of his goodness that has made him, 16 years after his death, listen to this, triumphant as a symbol of human possibility. Although just about everything he stood for has been lost. Did you catch that? It's beautiful. What did Mr. Rogers stand for? Kindness, goodness, generosity, sacrifice, thinking about the other person long before you think about yourself, right? So much so, he stood for those things, and so consistently and for so long that Tom writes that he became a symbol of human possibility. Which, that's the question of this. What if everyone in the entire world lived like Mr. Rogers? world wouldn't be a bad place, would it? But it's the second part of this quote, actually, the last part here that I have highlighted that I think really helps us, right? What does it say? What does Tom write? He says, just about everything he stood for has been lost. Think about the world we live in today. And think about what Mr. Rogers stood for. Pretty opposed, aren't they? 
kindness, goodness, generosity, sacrifice, believing the best in other people, fighting for them, championing them, being present with them. Every child he ever interacted with, he got down, right? Was right here. Do you see much of that in our world today? Or do you see division and hatred? Do you see news outlets that constantly vilify the other side? I don't see a lot of Mr. Rogers today. So, so why is Mr. Rogers having a moment? Here it is. It's because we desperately need him and everything that he stood for. Now, maybe more than ever. Which, if that's true, if that's true, then we would do wise to listen to what he had to say, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Well, I've got an example for you. It's from 1997. The Emmys, you've heard of them, uh, gave Mr. Rogers a Lifetime Achievement Award. They don't give those out like candy. I don't have one, do you? The Emmys, so he's there, he's in Hollywood, and they have him come up. Tim Robbins introduces him, and uh, he gives this speech right here. Let's watch. He asks a question of the audience and of the viewers at home back in 1997, and then by way of the magic of YouTube, he asks a question of us. Did you catch it? Who has loved you into being? Who has loved you into being? It is a brilliant question. Why is it a brilliant question? Why? Why is it so good? Three quick reasons. The first reason this is a brilliant question is because it absolutely forces you to reckon with the fact that we are not self-made. There's no room in this question to say, nobody. Even if you have lived an incredibly hard life, and I know so many of you have, I, I hope, I pray that you can think of at least one person to answer this question about that has loved you, that has seen something in you that you didn't see in yourself, that has poured into you, that has invested in you. We want to think that we're self-made creatures. We are not. We don't get anywhere without the help of others. So that's one reason why this question is brilliant, because we're not self-made. The second reason this question is brilliant, because it fronts love, doesn't it? Love is hard. It's a bit of a drunk drawer word. You know what I mean by this? Every house has a drunk drawer in it, and we toss everything into this word. Other languages have multiple words to describe what we just put into one word, love. In the same day, I can say, wow, I love orange chicken from Panda Express. And then sit with my sons at bedtime and say, I love you, Bevan. I love you, Owen. We see that that's problematic, right? It's a, it's a drunk drawer word, but... But let's talk about true love, real love, generous love, sacrificial love. That's what Fred Rogers is talking about in this question. He fronts love. And this is important because did you know that love is at the center of the universe? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why is that? Well, it's because God's at the center of the universe. God's at the center of the universe in 1 John 4, 7 in our Bibles, reminds us that God is love. Why is God love? Well, it's because of this all-important theological truth called the Trinity, which I know it, it blows my mind. The only one here that understands it is Glenn Butner. Ask him. Okay? But the Trinity is this truth that God is one being in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are in perfect relationship and harmony with each other at all times. 
and from the very beginning of time, which means that love has always existed in the Godhead, and it means that love is at the center of the universe, which is really, really important. Because if love is not at the center of the universe, if, if God still exists, right, but there's not three in one, then it's not love at the center of the universe, it's power. But love is at the center of the universe. Perfect love, not orange chicken love. So love, right? And, and you don't shame people into being. You don't enable people into being. Right? You love people into being. You don't judge people into being. You don't condemn people into being. You love people into being. And that's the third reason why this question is so brilliant, because it's being before doing. We're not human doings. We are human beings. We are before we do. And if we get that backwards, and we so often get that backwards, your life is going to flip upside down. You are a human being before you are a human doing. In fact, you're not a human doing. You are a human being who does a lot of stuff. And yes, the doing is important, of course. But we do this, don't we? The second question we meet people, especially in the adult world, post-college, right? What's your name and what do you do? It's not a good question. And so Fred Rogers, he knows it's not a good question, and he asks millions of people that have seen this clip, who has loved you into being? It's a brilliant question. And it's so good, I'm going to give you literally a minute to think about it. Literally a minute. 60 seconds of silence for each and every one of us to sit here, and in our hearts, in our minds, in the core of our being, to think about the people that have loved us into being. And I hope you're already engaged. I love it when you engage with me. I sense that from you right now. But if you're not, you know, if you've got your phone out, I would just, boy, like just engage this. Who has loved you into being? I wonder, who did you think about? Maybe your mom or your dad, maybe both of your parents, a friend in high school that stuck with you through difficult times, a teacher. I bet if you're going to be a teacher, you thought of a teacher because every teacher I've ever met had a teacher that made them want to be a teacher. Maybe you thought of a professor here. Maybe you thought of a coach Maybe you thought of the person that convinced you that Sterling College would be a great place for you to do college. Maybe you thought of your significant other. Maybe you thought of a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. I thought of my wife Ashley. She's tops this list <laughs> for me. No one has loved me into being more than Ashley. 
but I also thought about my dad. I hope you guys get to meet Dave Brandis someday. <laughs> my dad is awesome, and I literally can't count the amount of ways that he has helped me and my family. If I can become half of Dave Brandis, that'd be a joy. Who has loved you into being? Now, here's what I want to submit to you, and, and stick with me for a moment, right? Stick with me for a moment. I think all these people, and I'm so glad, whoever you thought about, God placed in your life. What a gift. I think that all of these people are signposts. Even Ashley, who I said, no one's done that more to me. Ashley is a signpost. And what does a good signpost do? It, it points you in the direction of something else. And I think these people that God has been gracious enough in his goodness to give us are signposts that point to the capital O, one person that has actually loved us into being more than any other. And here, the Sunday school answer is, is more than uh, helpful. Shout it out. Who has loved us into being more than any other? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Now, now, now don't tune me out. Stick with me, okay? Because I can show you this. I can show you this. Let me take you to one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible and let me show you this. Can I? Stick with me, okay? Colossians chapter 1 is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture that has ever been written. All the Bible is good, but man, Colossians 1 bangs. <laughs> let me prove this to you, okay? Let's dive in quickly here. I want to I look at this. Read with me on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, this is so, be with me on this, okay? Verse 15, Jesus is the invisible image of the, or the, he is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, right? He's there with God and the Holy Spirit, right? He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. Why is that? Why is he supreme over all creation? Verse 16, because through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Track this with me. No one has loved you into being more than Jesus because without Jesus, you literally would not be a being. Because through, through Jesus, God created you. You were nothing, and now you are an important and valuable and loved human being because of Jesus. So why has no one loved you into being more than Jesus? Reason number one, he created you into being. He created you into being, but this gets better. Let's keep going. Jesus made the things that we can see, that's all of us, right, and other everything, and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, Jesus existed before anything else, and catch this, he holds all creation together. So Jesus created you into being, but that's not all. Jesus holds you into being. Do you remember in Avengers of Infinity War, right? When, when Thor has to make Stormbreaker to defeat Thanos, and they go to that planet wherever it was, and the star is run out, and the thing and the other thing, and I don't remember, but he has to hold the, he has to hold the forge, right? He's holding the forge and he takes the full power of a star. And this is Thor, right? The god, quote, god of thunder, and it almost kills him. All he's doing is holding a forge. Jesus is holding the entire world together right now in this very moment. And it's not almost killing him because he already died and rose again. This is why superheroes are awesome but lame. 
because they're not as good as Jesus. Colossians 1, Jesus is holding the entire world together right now. So Jesus created you into being, and he is holding you into being right now in this very moment. We'd be dead if Jesus wasn't holding us into being. But that's not all. Colossians 1 goes on. It gets better. Read with me. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21, this includes you, this is us, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself, reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. What's going on here? What's going on here in these verses? I kept emphasizing the word reconciles, reconciles, right? A reconciliation happens when there's brokenness. A reconciliation happens when there is a gap. There is a gap. Isn't there a gap between the life that you long to live and the life that you actually live? Isn't there a gap? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't always live up to your own standards. You do things that you don't want to do and you don't think, do things that you do want to do. There is a gap between the life that we want to live and the life that we actually live. And the Bible submits to us powerfully that that gap exists because of sin. When we rebel against God and his ways, we are not living the life that we were made and created to live, which is why there's a gap. And so there needs to be a reconciliation, a reconciliation that brings those two things back together and sets us on a path towards the new life that we were actually created to live. And what these verses are talking about is that God did that, what did it say? By way of Christ's blood on the cross. There's a penalty to pay, and Jesus paid it on the cross. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, not only... Does Jesus love you into being by creating you? And not only does he love you into being by holding you together and sustaining you, but he loves you into your new being by reconciling you. Jesus creates us into being. He holds us into being. And he reconciles us into being. All because of love. Jesus creates us into being, holds us into being, and reconciles us into being all because of love. So again, I would submit to you that no one has loved you into being, and for me, not even Ashley, more than Jesus. Now, what if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus? If that's you, again, I'm thrilled that you're here with us at Sterling College, and I'm not up here trying to ram this down your throat at all. What would that be if I was doing that? So, of course, I'm fully convinced that following Jesus would be a better way for you. But I'm not ramming it. I don't want to, at least. I want to invite you to explore this with me. 
Okay, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, then the third one doesn't apply to you. He has not yet reconciled you. And yet, even still, this is true of you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if he has not yet reconciled you, he created you. And he holds you and sustains you. And if he's doing both of those things, might it be time to consider letting him reconcile you too? Seeing what this new life is all about, this new way of being in the world? If that's you, if you're like, I'm kind of interested in that, boy, I would love nothing more than to sit with you and talk about that. Nothing more than to sit with you and talk about that. One of the first questions I asked was, what would the world be like if everyone lived like Mr. Rogers? And I have to imagine if someone said that to him or asked him of that, and maybe they have, I I don't know, I think he'd probably deflect, right? He'd probably do what he did in the Emmy speech. He'd probably talk about all the people that had poured into him, that had loved him, that had cared for him, right, that had, had allowed him to get to where he was. And I have to imagine, if you were one-on-one with him, or maybe in, even in a small group, I have to imagine Fred Rogers, who was a deeply devoted follower of Jesus, was studying to become a Presbyterian minister before this thing called TV started and decided to do that instead. I have to imagine that he would say, you know what, actually... Actually, I don't know that that's such a good question. What would the world be like if everyone lived like me? Because it's not me, I'd have to imagine he'd say. You know, Jesus is the one who created me. Jesus is the one who holds me and sustains me. Jesus is the one who reconciled me. I have to imagine that Fred Rogers would flip it around and say, what would the world be like if everyone lived like Jesus? When Jesus reconciles you, do you know that's what you're doing? Or what you ought to be doing by the power of the Spirit? That's what a Christian is. Someone who, by the power of the Spirit, lives like Jesus. Who has loved you into being. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these students. Thank you that they get to be human beings here and that they get to do a lot of stuff. I'm super pumped to watch the basketball team do a lot of winning tonight. I really am, Lord. I'm so excited to have these students back, engaged, here with us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that aren't yet reconciled, Lord. I don't want to jam anything down anyone's throat, right, with this, but I do believe that following Jesus, that allowing you to reconcile us to him through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the best life that we can live. So help us, Lord. Help them. Help our community. Help us this semester as we study, as we play sports, as we, as we do our different things. But may we never forget that we're human beings first and that no one, no one, no one has loved us into being more than Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.